it's Jeff Mayhew, it's John Beatty, it's Politics and Parenting, where we talk about politics, but we talk about it differently. John, how are you doing today? Jeff, I'm doing really well. So, uh, you know, when you're a politician, you tend to make promises, things that you want to get done. When you're elected, things that you say that, you know, you put me in office, I'll get it done. So six years ago, I made a promise to my sons. I said, I'll build you, build you a treehouse. And uh, this past week, actually probably yesterday, I, I finished that promise and completed a treehouse. And uh, let me tell you, it was uh, it was a two-week project, and most of that time was just waiting to get wood from Home Depot when uh, when time permitted. But um, you know, it's it's great to make people happy. You know, when you usually you make a promise, it's because people say this is something we'd like. And when you've got a bunch of boys, they want things to climb off of and climb up on top of. And um, it was just really nice to be able to complete that project and to get it done. So I'm I'm exhausted. From, from building all that, like my, it's just, you know, when you get old, the, your, your aches start to, your joints start to ache. Um, but it was great to work on that and my, the joy, you know, that they uh, expressed and this, the thanks and gratitude I got from my sons was amazing. Um, but it, it got me thinking, you know, what if I was building this and it was, I had to hire a team or something and uh, I had to like pick people to get it. And so, you know, building a treehouse that's carpentry, you got to measure things. What if I was just picking people because I liked them, you know, if I got some guys who um, had no idea what they were doing, but they said, oh, you know, Beatty, you're the best. We really like you. You know, we like what you stand for. And I said, well, OK, you can help me build the treehouse. And then they actually don't help me build the treehouse. Like, that's just a, a weird system, don't you think? Like, you would you would never hire someone just because they uh, they flattered you, would you? Um, not me. That's not really my style. I, you know, if I'm going to hire somebody, especially in my place of business, I want somebody that's going to, you know, show up and do the job, right? Uh, not you just know, yeah, you know. flatter me or, you know, take my side, you know, in an argument. I want somebody that can actually be productive. Um, I, I think what you're describing there, John, is is called a spoil system. Have you, are you familiar with this? I've heard about it. Isn't that the system where you uh, the, the partisans take over, and so when someone gets elected, and they've got uh, vacancies in or jobs that they can appoint to people, and so they pick them, they pick people to fill those spots based on maybe they're a donor, uh, maybe they have said some nice things in the press, and not really necessarily based on their merits or what they could bring to the job, but really what they uh, how they make the person who appointed them feel. Is that it? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, this spoils system, we've actually had two of these periods, um, two very prominent periods of spoils system in our history. Um, one of them actually started with, you know, one of the guys we talk about a lot on the show, Andrew Jackson, right? Um, and then the second one started after the Civil War, um, after our right at the end, tail end of Reconstruction period. Um, and both of these led to very an inefficient government. It led to um, a divided populace. Um, it led to two powers, uh, you know, growing bigger and bigger in the political parties. The end. Remember, the end of the first spoils period is what created the Republican Party to kind of fight that, um, and uh, it led to wealth inequality. It led to a rise in political violence during the Gilded Age. We had 
uh, James Garfield and William McKinley, who were assassinated by people who were affected by the spoils system. Um, Garfield's assassination specifically, his assassin was a person who thought that Garfield wronged him by not giving him the job. He thought it was owed to him. He was like all in on the spoil system. Um, so yeah, it is, uh, it's definitely a concern. I, what I like to describe it as it's a, it's a disease that infects republics, right? Because republic is this virtuous style of government that gives power to the individual citizen. So the idea is if some sort of power or money can come in and kind of like gain control of these different mechanisms, they can control the people in office. Um, and they do this through the parties. Um, so yeah. What do you, what do you, do you think we're going through something like that now, John? I think so. And, you know, if you look at the historically with those other previous um, spoil systems, you almost think that the parties themselves were much more ideological. Um, I, I think there was a, a time throughout this past century where the parties tended to be kind of both conservative and liberal, or if you want to break it down those buckets. But, you know, it wasn't just we believed in these ideas, we were kind of like, well, we're Republicans or we're Democrats. And there were sort of conservative Democrats and progressive Democrats. And you could say there was conservative Republicans and progressive Republicans. And then I think the fact that you kind of got this sorting that's happening where if you tend to be progressive, you're going to be more Democrat. And if you tend to be more, would you consider more conservative? You're going to be more Republican. That lends um, the ability that once a particular party gets in power, then you're like, well, we got to get our conservative people in there. Get rid of all these deep state people or, um, you know, uh, in these bureaucrats that don't aren't going to do what we want them to do. And so we can grease those skids and so that we can uh, move things along that, that our party wants to get done because we're being very ideological. And since we're ideological, this is our faith system. And we have to uh, take that faith to the logical conclusion. And so I, I think, um, you know, pre-Civil War, the ideology was definitely uh, slavery versus non-slavery. Um, and I would say that, uh, I don't know if there was a particular ideology post-Civil War other than um, maybe big business versus uh It was gold people, and silver. Gold and silver. Um, it, was gold, it, was, it was the gold and silver debate. And I think, you know, the big businesses wanted gold because they had the gold. And the smaller mm -hmm. businesses wanted silver because there wasn't enough gold to go around. So they just figured, okay, let's use this other sense, this other form of currency. And the big businesses didn't, didn't like that because it devalued their gold. Well, interesting you say that because it sounds a little bit like uh, fiat currency versus uh, Bitcoin currency or cryptocurrency oh, or something. A lot of similarities between the soil spoil system era and our era, isn't there? Very much so. No, I, I and I would just follow complete this thought with um, the fact that yes, well, you know, once. I remember a friend of mine was working for um, the Romney campaign, what they call the transition team. And this was like two months before the presidential election at the time. But his job was to interview people so that day one, and I think you wrote that in one of your articles, day one, they could find, they would have people to fit into all these thousands of roles that have to go out throughout the the bureaucracy that the, of the federal government so that they could get their political appoint, appointees in place. and. Uh, that was uh, actually it was probably 10 years ago at this point because I knew it was 2012. So I can only imagine how many thousands and thousands of people are vying for jobs now for whatever presidential or whatever Democratic appointee 
um, gets selected through the, the primary process and gets on the ballot and potentially wins in November of next year, they're scurrying to get those jobs so that they can sit in there and they can do whatever the party tells them to do. Yeah. Um, I mean, I did, I, I wrote an article um, about the interview with Tucker Carlson and Ron DeSantis um, at the, the family leadership uh, summit. And so, you know, he says on day one, uh, this is Ron DeSantis. He says on day one, he's going to fire the FBI director, right? He's going to get a new FBI director. Okay, cool. He continues and he says, you know, uh, we have to have our people in there on day one. Otherwise, these career bureaucrats, they just take over. And like, so he's saying, I am I, Ron DeSantis, I'm asking for your power of the of the people, right? And to sit in the presidency. And I'm going to solve your problem by firing everybody and putting my people in there. He's telling you up front, this is a spoil system. And this is the game that we play. The game we, that we play is you give a party power. You either give the Democrats power or you give the Republicans power. And what we're going to do is we're going to wipe everything out. And we're going to put our people on there and run it. But like, this isn't an effective way of governance. You know, like we live in Northern Virginia. It's the swamp. Most of the people that live around here work for the federal government. They work in the administrative state. And the story that they tell me is very different than the story that our politicians tell me, right? Our politicians say that it's the, it's the bureaucrats that are ruining the government. But the bureaucrats who work in the government, they say it's the political appointees. They say, well, like, sometimes we'll work for three years on a project. The guy won't get reelected and the whole project is scrapped and started from over, right? Because the new people come in, they're a new party. They say, I don't want to touch anything that the other party was doing. And they throw it in the trash. Think of how much taxpayer money is being wasted because of patronage, because of the spoil system that we have in place. And then in other circumstances, there are political appointees that do things they shouldn't do. And instead of being held accountable, they're just moved around and given other jobs. Sometimes they're promoted out of a bad situation as opposed to being held accountable. And that's because they're owed a favor, because that's how the game's played. Yeah, I think, you know, when you describe it that way, I think the problem is the legislative oversight aspect, the fact that if there's a program that something's going on in the executive, technically that should have gone through Congress in terms of getting that money appropriated. But because it was sort of in this thousand page omnibus bill that no one really read, like no one's keeping track of that. And so when someone comes into the next office, they say, well, it's just not important to us. Not, we're going to scrap that. Where as, a, as opposed to the fact that um, because Congress uh, appropriated the money for that, because technically Congress thought it might be worth doing, um, it should continue until Congress says otherwise. And it's really the executive's uh, responsibility to follow that through and to complete that. But it's not the executive's responsibility to say whether or not they're going to follow the will of, of Congress. Um, and, uh, you know, that's that's the real uh, letdown right there is the fact that the legislature is not doing their job again, yet again. Yeah, it, it's and it, like, how, why are they incentivized to do their job? Like, remember, they they're going to lose their job if the party doesn't win power. Right. So, like, mm -hmm. you know, they're just going to keep, you know, their job is to run for office. Like everybody's job, like in this situation is to get the person elected into office that gives them the job back. You know, and I think right. that is it, it's about like, like, what's the system you create and like the environment that's built around it? And if the environment leads people to focus on something else besides like serving the public, which is their job, 
then that means the system is spoiled and there's something wrong with it. We need to work on it. No, I completely agree. I mean, like it's the problem is um, you are not listening to the the people that elected you. Uh, you're listening to the people that um, are providing uh, donations and resources, and uh, that's where that there's that breakdown because your duty is toward towards listening to those people that you represent, and uh, you're you're neglecting that duty, and uh, and you're um, just causing more of the same problem and then the people that elected you uh get upset um and that's when we get into situations where there is that sort of ferment in these in society where uh you allows for someone with a uh you know you could say a populist but like a demagogue to come through and say well if you get me through i'm going to listen to you and just like in andrew jackson's time he was able to convince people to to get him elected and he um Put his own people in charge so it's it's not like you're solving the original problem you're just sort of replacing uh the people that were the cause of the original problem with with your own people and, and you're just moving over yeah you're just swapping the people out right like you didn't mm -hmm. change any of the corruption or anything like that and i think that's what we've been going through for the past you know eight to twelve years you know everybody's like the system's broken drain the swamp you know it's corruption everywhere and they just keep on voting for people in the party and it's like the parties are the thing that control the power. The parties are where the corruption is. The parties are the problem. I don't care if you think Donald Trump is your savior or not. If he's working for the party, guess what? <laughs> Nothing's changed. <laughs> like mm -hmm. nothing has changed. Um, but so well, but things can change, but it's not permanent. Like I'm thinking of, um, there's the whole aspect of title nine which is this this idea that uh we're going to have equal access for women um and so i think part of the the title nine is is kind of a vague statute and so there's this one aspect about sexual assaults um and so you've got congress puts in the rule that the department of education is going to be responsible for writing rules and regulations around uh reporting sexual assaults how do you handle that that responsibility um so the Department of Education writes that, and then that's in one administration, and then another administration comes in, and they change those rules. So the the base statute that Congress has passed is is effectively the same. I don't think it gets amended that much, but the interpretation of that statute and how it gets enforced and who's going to pull the purse strings um, for the money that gets doled out to all the sort of subsidiary organizations like local school districts, now they have to shuffle everything and change how they're operating. Because the uh, because the, again the bureaucrats because the Department of Education has changed how those rules and regulation works and then four years later you get a new administration in and they go back and they uh, they change those regulations again so within the span of six or seven years you've had two different major changes to a particular statute that again hasn't really changed at the congressional level in terms of what Congress has delegated to the Virginia, the Department of Education but at the federal level it's been um, completely uh, reworked twice and with, with very wild and different interpretations uh, between those, those two administrations. And so that's the problem, too, is because uh, because you get party people in there, they're going to push a particular ideology. They can reinterpret whatever Congress has given to the, the um, that government uh, bureaucracy. And now they get stuck. We get stuck uh, ping ponging back and forth. So um, that's the other problem, too, is is it isn't just that 
there are political appointees and stuff, but there's also policies that change really quickly because Congress has written statutes that are so vague um, and, you know, you, you can uh, make them suit whatever your tastes are, depending on what's who's in power. Well, and, and that's the thing is like we're constantly writing new statutes and laws and regulations and everything, and we're changing everything except for like the problem. Campaign mm -hmm. finance and representation, baby. Like uncap the house and repeal Citizens United. Like literally like that is the key because again, the Republic, when the Republic is faltering, it's because it's been infected with a disease. That disease is called a spoil system. The spoil system is controlled by representation and money. Plain and simple, always has been, always will be. If you if you focus on fixing the money problem and the representation problem by repealing Citizens United and uncapping the House, you can actually start to make change because now the people in your government, they're there because they want to do a job. They're there they're because they want to serve people. Right now, the political appointees, the people leading all of the departments, they're there for profit. They're there mm -hmm. to stay in power. They're there for no other reason than that. No, it's true. I mean, it's a bad, bad spot where um, you're you're not doing your job uh, in, in terms of representing people. You're doing your job in terms of representing the party. And I think when it becomes so um, corrosive, when it becomes so uh, us versus them, like, you know, that's where people don't feel represented and that's where society breaks down because it, it we've got these seismic shifts between who's in power and what's actually getting done. So John, just out of curiosity, we both run for office. Did you see anything while you were running for office that made you think, man, I think we might be living in a spoil system. Uh, not while running for office for this particular spot. I mean, like, I think you can just read the stories and, and, um, you know that uh, at least in the presidential level, when someone gets in office, you get new positions. I, I know uh, I saw when uh, Youngkin got elected, there was a lot of shifts in who got put into those positions. And I know that a lot of those people that were picked for positions in the Virginia bureaucracy, if you will, uh, were people that were with him on the campaign trail, you know, that I saw at his rallies, tooting his horn. And, um, you know, now they're, they're at different positions in the Virginia bureaucracy. And so I, I would say maybe they weren't so qualified for those positions other than uh, they were able to be on stage and, and talk about how great someone uh, someone was. And I know, you know, we talked about last week, like both parties do it. So what did you see when, when you were running for Congress? I mean, you know, there was a lot, right? I mean, first, you know, I've told the story before when I tried to run for Congress, I was told no by my party. Mm -hmm. They said, no, it's somebody else's turn, right? And so like, that's the first like indicator, like when the party is telling you, you, it's not your turn, like they're telling you up front, hey, we control the power and you have to go through us. You, the citizen, you have no voice here. Um, so that would be my first thing. I mean, the second thing is like, after the election was over, what did they do? The Gary and the entire Republican, they got all of us together at the, at the headquarters and, and they were very like, they were very direct with me. You need to say nice things about the party. You need to say, like, don't come here and say your things. Come here and we need you to show support for Hunk. Now, they didn't like, they didn't tell me specifically, don't say these things, but they were very specific. We need you to come here and show support for Hunk. I said, okay, I can do this, but I have, I want to, I want to have a conversation. Like I ran for office. I want to be able to have a conversation with Hung. I was very upfront about that. 
I went to Hung's first event. I said it again to him in person. Um, and then I was just ignored, like flat out. And like people will say, well, what does it matter, Jeff? You're just like, you're just bitter they don't talk to you. And it's like, I'm just a person. Like I'm just a citizen who felt like his government and his leadership in his government wasn't doing a good job. I have serious issues that I I ran on that I wanted to discuss with other people in power. And I just wasn't given the opportunity. There was nobody to talk to. I mean, there's no, there's no local media on this. Like there's nobody to speak with if you have concerns. And you know, like what are what are you supposed to do? Are we just supposed to sit on our hands as citizens and be like, okay, all right, party, you're in control. I'll let you do it. Like, just tell me what to do, where to be, and I'll I'll, you know, please, sir, you know, like, come on. It shouldn't be that way. Well, I, I, it shouldn't be that way, but I think that's how the parties tend to keep control. And I think you're like, going back to Andrew Jackson and the Democratic Party, like the fact was he wanted to run and he wanted to be the president. And so he built up coalitions. Uh, I think it was it Martin Van Buren, Martin uh, Van Buren. deliver in New York, New York for him. Mm -hmm. um, Martin Van Buren leaves the Senate seat so that he can run for governor because, you know, that's going to help deliver in New York for Andrew Jackson. So you got to imagine that that um, part of that whole party system is people just towing the line and following. Um, and there's the upper echelons where they're the people who are running the show. And then there's sort of the bottom tier where it's people that are just doing what they're told. So I would yeah. say your problems are nothing new, as, as we like to think about, like, there's nothing new under the sun. This is the same human problems. Um, but But I think, you know, Part of uh, what we're trying to fix is the fact that we think the representation representatives need to listen uh, in order to be a better representative. And so, you know, this could have all, I hate to say it, it could have all gone away, but honestly, like if, if Hung had sat down for you with, for, for probably five minutes maybe, and sort of listened to you and said like, that's a great idea, Jeff, let me see what I can do. Like that would probably would have smoothed away 80%. Now, you may not have been completely happy um, cool. and maybe what, but like, like, I think that would have gone a lot more than just being like, "Oh, don't worry about it." We're, you know, I'm I won, you lost. Let me let me do what I well, want. Well, I mean, but... you know, like again, I'm a citizen who ran for office because I couldn't actually talk to my representative, and I mm -hmm. knew enough from working in the party that I knew if I got if I ran for office, I'd at least be able to talk to somebody that was had a chance, right? And that was mm -hmm. my. I just want to be able to talk to whoever wins. You know, I want to be able to have a conversation. I believe. <clears throat> Like what I have to say is valuable and I could help that person get into office if they wanted me to help them, or at least they should take my concerns seriously because where else are you supposed to take your concerns? If you're a citizen yeah. and you're concerned, you have a right. It's called a right of representation. It may not be explicitly written into the bill of rights yet, but one day with help, it will be, you know, and, and that right is your voice in the house of representatives. And so you know, I have to try. And to, to your point, like, if you would have sat down with me for five minutes, no, that wouldn't have soothed it over. Because look, I cornered him at the RPV. I had conversations with him. Like, I want a representative who listens. And I've sat down with plenty of politicians who just pay you lip service and say, oh, that's a great idea. I'll see what I can do about it. No, if you understand the idea that I'm pitching you, which is we're living in a spoil system where the parties control the power and people are basically living in tyranny, it's because we have very poor campaign finance 
and we have a limited representation. So we need to uncap the House, we need to repeal Citizens United, and we need to educate people of the problem along the way. If I sit down with a candidate and they don't want to work on that, then they're not a serious person. Flat out. Like, they either aren't qualified for the job, they don't know the history of government and how it works, and therefore shouldn't be running for office, or they don't care, which is just worse. It's so much worse because they figure, well, I've got power and I've got money and I get to run for office and raise lots of money and I get to go on TV. So I don't care about you. And like, again, their job is to listen and care about the citizens they represent. So if I may push back a little bit, like sure. when you're running for office and such, you're trying to build some kind of coalition and maybe they just think that there isn't a, a big enough coalition of, of people who are concerned about campaign finance. There's, they can build a bigger coalition based on people who care about building a steel wall in Arizona and uh, preventing people from crossing the border and uh, people who, you know, I don't know, you could pick other things, but like maybe they just think there there isn't enough members in the sort of <clears throat> campaign finance coalition that aren't already going to write them off. I mean, like, you know, if you think about campaign finance as a whole, it tends to be more democratic position so if you're a republican you just say well campaign finance i can't i can't run on that because there's no i'm not going to gain votes on the republican side so um maybe in in the sort of the cynical i got to build a coalition like maybe it just does they don't there's not enough votes in that aspect to, to worry about it so a few things to that point one the the person running for office should care more about doing a good job than winning office Okay, flat out like that. It should be about merit. It should be about qualifications. Okay, so they should listen because they like they live in this country, too. Right. This is an important thing Two, They've never tried. Like mm -hmm. you can't sit here and tell me that campaign finance isn't a winning issue in a district where the the Democratic nominee has crushed the Republican nominee in the last two elections. You know, Hunk can't say, oh, I can't win with that coalition if he's never tried, if he never even attempted. He didn't even bother to listen to what the coalition would be. Like, it's not even the fact that like, oh, it's not going to work. Like, you didn't give it a chance. You never sat down. And even if you did sit down and you said it wouldn't work, how do you know? Like, you're in a minor, like, I think they lost by like 10 points or something like that. Yeah. yeah right. It was bad. You, you got crushed. You got crushed. Like, you're going to tell me that I'm wrong? Try it. Like every, every successful, like I got on my shelf over here, all these, like, these are the pioneers of business, right? And up here, these are the pioneers of government. And every single one of them had an idea that the party or the people in control sat down and said, that'll never work. No, you can't do that. And you know what each one of them did? They did it anyways, because the idea was good and the people in charge were threatened by it. And I'm not saying that's what, you know, is happening here. I think more often than not in our political arena, people just don't understand. Like it, the biggest problem we face is, you know, there are a number of corrupt people in politics, but the most of the time, it's like what you were talking about earlier, the people at the bottom, they're just doing what they're told and they don't know any better. So isn't that a great point? So I just looked, he lost by 6.6% percentage points. But like, isn't that something that just frustrates you when it's like, well, the national narrative is X, Y, or Z, and so we can't deviate from the national narrative. When politics is, as people as people like to say, politics is local, and um, you know maybe 
maybe the national narrative doesn't quite work in your district and you actually have to craft a message that tailors to the people that you're supposed to represent. Like, um, so I, I actually didn't, I didn't set you up for that, but I think that's such a great point in terms of like, yeah, you know, you got to try something different. Um, and I, uh, what was I talking with Katie about just recently? Like, um, uh, oh, tuition or something, school tuition. So, um, you know, I, we're sending our kids, we were sending our school kids to private schools and it's just like, it's expensive. Um, it would be great if there was a tax break on that. And so like, I think like, the Northern Virginia area, like there's a lot of solid public schools, but there's also a lot of private schools. And I think like you could potentially bring some people to your coalition if you were able to campaign on how you might allow someone who's spending a lot more money and a lot more of their their financial uh, income their, um, on schooling outside the public school system and potentially helping save them money or make it more accessible to, to middle class people because um, there's a lot of people that are upset with the current public schools and just saying like, well, we're going to defund the Department of Education. Like, that's not a reasonable campaign fund. Um, but I think trying to find some kind of compromise where you try to make it more accessible for more people, I think that's something that you might be able to win on. But, um, but you know, I guess that being said, like maybe maybe running on defunding the Department of Education is a, is a winning coalition that you can uh, bring people to your side for. But probably not. Maybe I should just run for school board instead. No, I don't know. <laughs> oh, no, you're too good. You're too good for school board. The bureaucracy will eat you alive. And oh man, I mean, I don't. Up and spit you, I, you know. I mean, I. You, for me, it's just like we just have to start talking about the problem. Like we just mm -hmm. need it, and we need it. With the, I think the biggest thing, like, if you're a regular citizen out there and you want to like legitimately help. <clears throat> stop letting the people get away with it. Like the people Absolutely. that are running for office, they're not qualified, okay? If if they're not talking about these issues, they, like I said before, they either aren't studying, they don't know what they're doing. And in a time with so much like division in the world, like you think they'd be reading those books every weekend trying to figure out how to solve the problem, but they're not because they're busy fundraising and you know asking for help. Um, and then like, you can hold them accountable by like being like, hey, uh, what about these two issues? And when they don't, because this is what politicians do, they just, they just ignore you. They realize that people will typically just give up. And it's, it's kind of true, you know, like most people, you know, if they go out and they get ignored, they'll be like, ah, whatever. It's corrupt. I'm not going to try. Um, I was actually, so Oliver and I, we were getting these bookcases uh, and we were moving them and I put them in the back of my car and I didn't plan very well. So we had to stack two bookcases on top of each other. Not a great idea. And we put it on top and Oliver was like in there and he was like trying to like move it forward. And I was trying to tell him like, don't just pull it because they, he was meeting resistance and the resistance was a <laughs> screw. And I was like, and he just kind of yanked on it and the screw popped out. I was like, ah, oh. I was like, hey, bud. I was like, just because you're meeting resistance doesn't mean that you meet it with power immediately. You need to see what that resistance is first. Maybe that resistance is bad. Maybe it's good, right? Maybe you need to adjust around it. In the circumstance that you were faced with, the resistance was a screw. And when you met it with power, you ripped the screw out, which means now we have to fix the thing that we were moving. So there's no right. big deal. We can fix it, right? But like to the point, to the people locally here in office, I'm resistant. I'm dissentful. 
And I'm resistant and I'm resentful because you're losing, because you mm -hmm. aren't governing properly. I don't care if you're my party. You still deserve blame. Every single Republican on, that has been elected to office in my district for the last 10 to 15 years, they deserve as much blame as the Democrats. Everybody working for the party, same thing. You need resistance. You need dissent. You need debate in order to grow. If you squash dissent, if you meet resistance with power or, and by the way, he met it with power, but also by ignoring it, right? So that's what the party does. They just ignore you and they figure you'll go away. And because they have more power than you, you're just a screw to them. You yank, they yank, they yank in one direction. You stay the same because you're resistant and you fall out of their circle. And when you're out of their circle, you don't know what's going on. They don't tell you when the events are. They don't give you a chance yep. to speak. They have You have no power as an individual citizen to make any change in your community unless you do what the party tells you to do. And that is the definition of a spoil system. And if any American out there is serious about making change, then you need to tell somebody, hey, we're living in a spoil system. Go listen to this pod. Go read this article. Go pick up, read about Andrew Jackson. Read about James Garfield. Share those stories with people so people can understand what's going on. And then, like I said, stop letting them get away with it. Couldn't have said it better myself. All right, I got all passionate again, like last week. Well, I mean, these are real problems. And I think that, you know, what we're trying to do with our classes and such is to educate people um, because if you hadn't read history, you wouldn't know about the spoil system and you wouldn't understand that this is just a phase that things go through when we've got the sort of misalignment of ideologies and parties and there isn't really a delicate, there is no balance. I think it's, you know, what you like to talk about in the campaign trail was sort of this, these delicate spheres rotating on a platter and things are out of whack. And I think things, um, the result of that out of whackness where, the, where things are misbalance where priorities are misplaced is a system where as soon as I get in charge, I got to put my people in because that's how I can fulfill my agenda. And it's not about um, necessarily doing what's best for society as a whole. It's about doing what's best for my tribe and my people. Um, and I think the resentment comes from the fact that, you know, whether or not those priorities are good, um, if someone feels left out for it, they're going to be upset and they're going to uh, be resentful and then when they get in charge because things always switch back and forth like no matter it's it's funny you know you listen to um we're talking about the post-civil war spoil system right so like um even though i think the republicans had control of the house and senate for a long time like there they were still democratic presidents that got elected and stuff that put their people in place but so you notice that the democratic president that got elected in that time period is grover cleveland and he got elected twice in two different era, two different mm -hmm. um, non-consecutive terms. But the thing that Grover Cleveland had in common with the other Republicans was, what was it? You tell me. He was a gold guy. Most Democrats were silver guys, and Grover Cleveland was a gold guy. It was the gold and silver debate. It's what did Plutarch say? It is an imbalance between of wealth what I, I'm, I'm messing up the quote but an imbalance between rich and poor that's what plutarch mm -hmm. said that is mm -hmm. the disease of all republics that's what a spoil system is it's when the money takes control of the system and it and the parties have it it's just like uh sorry yeah go ahead no but that, that just proves my point like the fact that that you've got these democrats that come in um 
he's able to find that coalition that, you know, it's, it's uh, 80% democratic priorities. And then he throws in gold and that's his winning majority to get through the electoral college and to win the presidency. And then what happens when you're in charge in a spoil system is you fire all the people from the other party and you put your own people in um, and uh, you're, you're back to square one uh, so often. So it just like, like you said, um, he was able to find something that other Democrats weren't thinking about. And I think if you're in Northern Virginia, you can't run like you're in rural Virginia, you know, and I, I grew, I went to school in Blacksburg and I love Southwest Virginia. And, you know, like, I understand like they're different, very much different areas. Um, but, uh, Northern Virginia has different priorities than Southwest Virginia. Um, and you know, you could say like East coast and West coast America have different priorities and North America and, and, and Northern United States and Southern United States have different priorities. And you've got the Rust Belt and you've got the Gold Coast and you've got the Southwest and you've got the uh, Midwest. Like there's just lots of different areas that have different priorities. And so a national campaign can fill in 80% of that, but you do have to find those little bits that fit that locality. And that's that's what's missing. Um, and then you're left with a spoil system where you fire everyone and hire everyone that you want back in. But yeah. may or may not be qualified. May or may not be qualified. Yeah. Well, in, in, you know, to the point I got heated, right? What did I get heated about last week? It was Rome. It was Danica Rome, mm -hmm. my representative. Um, and, you know, I posted that I tagged her on Instagram. I tagged her on Twitter. Like I've reached out um, to different people asking me to like, hey, when are democratic meetings? Like, how can I mm -hmm. meet the person? How can I like be at an event that Rome is running because she's running to be my representative at my state representative in the state Senate. Yeah. Um, I haven't been able to find anybody that can get me connected. I, uh, you know, haven't been successful at getting her to speak back with me. I mean, I know Twitter enough that if you're on Twitter, like, let's put it this way. If I tag you on Twitter with something that I, I'm concerned about and you're the representative, you see it because social media is an important aspect for a candidate running for office somebody on your team at least sees it and you should as a leader be like hey if there's any concerns out there serious concerns about different things that are going on you should escalate that up to me so i can speak with them because i'm the representative and that's my job that's my responsibility and if it's not getting escalated up and they're not speaking back to you they're ignoring you and they mm -hmm. don't care they don't have to represent you because they only represent their party and i'm not part of their party that's the biggest challenge i've had you know trying to you know learn or be into the democratic party or system is because like they just don't let you in they don't tell you when the events are going to be like it's a secret club and you got to be you got to have the password to get into the club and if you don't have the password you're kept out and again if you're a citizen if you're a mother if you're a father if you have children if you care about your community and you want to make some change and you want to be a part of it you shouldn't have to get become part of a club in order to help your community. And, you know, I think one of the biggest problems we have besides what we've talked about today with the spoiled system and campaign finance and representative is we have a populace that is disengaged from the process. And why are they disengaged? Because the parties want them to be disengaged. They only want people that do and say what they want them to do and say, and everybody else is kept out. Again, that's a spoil system. 
that is a form of tyranny in its own way, okay? Like, because eventually it's not sustainable. It will end in revolution or it will end in a dictator of some sort. We've seen this ebb and flow of history before. We've talked about it with the French Revolution. We've talked about it with the Roman Republics. Like, it's it's just the way things are. Like, we can't ignore that. We need to start facing it. No, it's um, there's nothing new under the sun. It's the same human problems over and over again, um, just with different uh, different characters, but the same acts, the same scenes. Um, and I think that's why, you know, you and I talk about studying history so much because it's so key to seeing those patterns and uh, hopefully not making the same mistakes as our predecessors. Yeah. All right, John. I think that was a good episode. What do you think? It was good. Can't yeah. Wait to, can't wait to listen to it again. <laughs> um, do we got anything to pump? We've got our uh, Madisonian meeting coming up on the 24th, uh, next Monday. You can RSVP at MadisonianRepublicans.com. Um, we are going to be doing a showcase again. I've got a 100% finalized the date with the, with the host, but uh, right now, tentatively, we're looking at September 16th for our next small business showcase. Uh, we learned a lot from the last one. We plan to uh, grow and make this one even better for the community. So um, mark your calendars. Yeah, mark your calendars now. Like, in, in all seriousness, if you're listening to this podcast and you're going, you know, John and Jeff make a they make some sense on this spoil system thing. Maybe, maybe people should be talking about this. If you want them to talk about it, show up to the small business showcase. Like, mm -hmm. you can support your community. You can focus on local, and you can fill the room. And you can make sure that people listen to what John and I have to say, um, because, you know, we'll hand out our literature, we'll share information with people that come in, and we'll make it successful. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, like, if you want to make a difference in the community and the government, you just kind of have to show up to the people that are working hard for it. Um, and uh, I know that my Madisonian team worked hard. John's got He's got like a whole militia of children over there, you know, and and he still makes time for the podcast and he's on the school board. He's working for his community. Craig spends all his volunteer time helping, you know, build this out. Same with Phil. He's got three kids. I've got five kids. I've got my wife on the team. We've got uh, Danny who lives all the way out in Arlington driving in to help out. You know, uh, Victor's taking time. He's he's a young entrepreneur trying to grow. And, you know, everybody is volunteering their time to try to help the community and make some real change. And if you're a citizen out there and you go, hey, I like what they're doing, you can show support by showing up. Uh, mm -hmm. fill the room, come have a conversation with us. I'd love for you to meet my team. If you know me personally, but you don't know my team, you should meet them. They're a, an amazing group of people, extremely knowledgeable in what they do. And I'm very, uh, very humbled that they've decided to, to work with me on this. So, you know, show up, right, John? That's right. Be there. Yeah. The only way you can have a voice. Only way you can have a voice. Right. Well, I think that's good for the good for the episode today. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know, good things will happen next week or in the upcoming week. We got a lot going on, um, and uh, you know, stumbling over my words here, John. Hey, do you want to do the outro today? Peace and love. <laughs> Peace and love. <laughs>